morning, Grace Hill. It's good to see all of you this morning. Uh, my name's Alan. I'm one of the pastors here at Grace Hill. So if you haven't met, we'd love to meet you after the service. Um, really excited for our July 30th uh, barbecue. And so please, as Mel said, sign up for that. Uh, some of you need to sign up for the competition. All right. Angus Small, Monty McCullough, Nick Lamont, Sean Kane, just a few. I'm getting called out. We're going to be in Psalm chapter 5 this morning. And so if you have a Bible, you can open it to Psalm 5. As you know, we've been working through some psalms over the summer. And we're on Psalm 5 this morning. I wanted to start here. Last week, I'm going to trip on that carpet today. Last week, uh, I talked a bit about a big piece of our ministry philosophy at Grace Hill. All right, and so I know many of you have seen this over and over and over again. That's good. You're going to continue to see a lot. Um, but let me put this up here. Uh, so we said this kind of describes our ministry philosophy. We use a triangle, or you could think of it as a three-legged stool, where the top piece is we want to be all about knowing God as a church, and we want to grow in our knowledge of God's Word, and we see Him as our authority, and we want to submit to that um, as our authority. We want to grow in our knowledge of one another, that Christianity um, is not a faith that is to be practiced alone. The Bible knows nothing of that. It is something that we do together, and so we want to be a church that follows Jesus together. But then we have this other piece here in the bottom right of no self. We want to be growing in our knowledge of ourselves and where Jesus is seeking to transform and heal us. And we mentioned last week that, you know, the no God and no others piece feels a bit more natural in church. Yes, like we need to be about growing in our knowledge of God and we need to be about doing that with one another. Yes and amen. But this knowledge of self piece is a little more tricky because a lot of times it's just not something we want to do is grow in the knowledge of ourselves and, and where Jesus is seeking to change and transform. And so through all of this, um, I've noticed in Christianity, in the church, not just Grace Hill, but the, the church at large, uh, some polarized views of the self. Some polarized views on how should the Christian view themselves? What should our relationship with ourself be like? And so I kind of see these opposing views and then obviously a bunch in the middle. And so this kind of spectrum. So on one side of the spectrum in the church, again at large, is a very, very high view of self to the extreme, almost to the point of self-worship. Where the view of self is so high in the sense of going, you know, my, my thoughts and my feelings and my desires, I functionally, they probably wouldn't say this out loud, but kind of the way they live their life is I see it as almost equal with God and equal with God's word. That my thoughts and my feelings and my desires have a, a bit of authority to them. And so there's really not a fear of God there's not a faith or a view of faith where uh, there could be opportunity for change or conviction or challenge to the self. Um, oftentimes people who view this this way would, will say things like, well, God is love. And because God is love, their definition of love being that God would never ask me to change. God would never ask me to 
go against something that I think, feel, or desire. I've heard some pastors say, like, out loud, again, this would be in some more progressive style churches, things like, I would never ask or lead or challenge a congregant in my church to change, because that would be unloving. So it's almost this really, really, really extreme high view of self. But on the other side of the spectrum, I also think there's this self-loathing that can happen inside the church. And I don't think we talk about this one as much. It's almost this side where we view ourselves as so depraved, so sinful, so insignificant, so bad that we, we don't really ever fully step into the purpose that God created us for. And, and we don't really step into the purpose of bearing the image of God. We forget that all the way in the beginning of the Bible, God says that he created us in his image, which literally means that he wants to use us to reflect his glory and goodness to the world. And we forget the fact that at the very beginning of the Bible, when God created humanity, he declared them good. That something is, is good. And all of us bear the image of God. But one of the things that I think can happen in churches sometimes is that the doctrines of sin can get preached out of balance with the Imago Dei. That is the doctrine of the image of God in man. And so what can happen is a person can begin to develop kind of a self-loathing. Almost, I refuse to see any good in me at all. I've talked to some people who've you know, deconstructed the faith or decided that they no longer wanted to follow Jesus anymore. And one of their complaints or one of the things that they were working through is that they said, man, in the church, the thing that I learned to do was hate myself. And that feels like a whole nother extreme. Both sides polarize. And so what I want to do this morning is ask, how should the Christian view themselves? And I think Psalm 5 is going to help us understand that. David in Psalm 5, he wrote Psalm 5. David is going to contrast himself with the wicked of the world. And David is going to say some things that might sound a little prideful. But I think as we dig into the text, we'll see what he really means. But David is going to contrast himself to the wicked, specifically Absalom, which happened to be his son. But if you've been with us the past few weeks, we know that David wrote Psalm 3, probably Psalm 4, and probably Psalm 5 are all in response to a particular episode that happened to David where his son Absalom basically staged a coup against him and ran him out of Jerusalem. And David is lamenting all of these things happening, all of these people who are standing against him in his kingship of Israel. And so David is going to compare himself to these people. And as we read, I want you to look for how does David describe himself? What adjectives does he use? What actions are being taken by David or by God or by others. All right, so let's, let's put our Bible study hats on and look at it. And then I also want you to observe, how does he describe the wicked? What adjectives does he use there? What verbs are being used? What are they doing? And let me just say, before we read the psalm, we're going to read the whole psalm in just a second, that if you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus or you're still exploring what you believe, 
Um, you might look at this and be like, this is a little offensive. You know, because David is essentially comparing himself as, I guess, the, the good person in the psalm to these wicked people who, who don't believe in God. And you might take offense to that going, wait, well, that doesn't describe all people who don't follow Jesus. So let me just say this. This psalm is not a challenge just to those who don't follow Jesus. This psalm is a challenge to all of us, and it's especially a challenge to those who say with their lips they follow Jesus, but maybe the reality of their lives are far different. See, because one of the hints that we're going to see from the psalm is this, is that you can absolutely use religious language to say all kinds of things about yourself that don't reflect the reality of what's actually going on. And so I think what we need to do is all of us need to put our self-aware hats on this morning, right? And look at this psalm and humbly ask, God, what describes me as we read this together? Let's do it. Psalm chapter 5. Let's just read the whole thing, and we'll work through it. David writes, Give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my groaning. Give attention to the sound of my cry, my King and my God. For to you do I pray. O Lord, in the morning you hear my voice. In the morning I prepare a sacrifice for you and watch. For you are not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil may not dwell with you. The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all evildoers. You destroy those who speak lies. The Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and the deceitful man. But I, through the abundance of your steadfast love, will enter your house. I will bow down towards your holy temple in the fear of you. Lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness. Because of my enemies, make your way straight before me. For there is no truth in their mouth. Their inmost self is destruction. Their throat is an open grave. They flatter with their tongue. Make them bear their guilt, O God. Let them fall by their own counsels. Because of the abundance of their transgressions, cast them out, for they have rebelled against you. But let all who take refuge in you rejoice. Let them ever sing for joy and spread your protection over them, that those who love your name may exalt in you. For you bless the righteous, O Lord. You cover them with favor as with a shield." Now, as we go to Psalm 5, again, I said, let's observe how does David describe himself and how does he describe the wicked? So if we start with how he describes the wicked, some of the things that he says here is, one, he says, they cannot dwell with God. That was in verse 4. The wicked cannot come into the presence of God. In verse 5, he describes them as boastful. In verse 6, as bloodthirsty, you could say vengeful and deceitful. There's no truth in their mouth. They use words to flatter others, verse 9, and they have rebelled against God, verse 10. So if you were to summarize all of that together, you could say that the wicked, they, they boast in themselves. 
They speak their own truth. They, they're willing to lie and to deceive and to harm others and to flatter in order to get what they want. They're manipulative, willing to hurt others to elevate the self. Now, when we go to how David describes himself, it kind of feels a bit awkward, right? Because we just read that the wicked are not welcome in God's presence. And yet in verse 7, it says that David says, but I will enter your house. You know, I'm going to come into your presence. And so David obviously feels that he, for some reason, is welcome in God's presence when the wicked are not. But what are the words used? What are the actions used here? Well, first of all, in verse 2, notice that David confesses God is king and Lord. And then he says in verse 7, the reason that he can enter into God's house, verse 7, what was that? was because of the steadfast love of God. He doesn't point to anything he did that gave him, made him worthy. He says, no, it's actually because of your love for me that I'm, I'm able to come into your presence. It says he fears God in verse 7. It says that he follows God's leadership and instruction. He says, lead me, God. Show me the right paths. Correct my paths in verse 8. Verse 11, it says he takes refuge in God. He exalts God in verse 11. Although it's a little weird that David's talking about himself, I, I, the overwhelming summary, though, I think of these verses is David never points to anything that he has done. He's just pointing to God. God, it's, it's your righteousness that I have. God, it's your love that lets me come into your presence. God, I need you to lead me. God, I need, I need you to show me the right way. God, I'm going to take refuge in you. I'm going to trust you to protect me. He's consistently pointing to things that God is doing for him. The only thing he really points to that he does for himself is in verse 3 where he says, I get up in the morning and prepare a sacrifice and I watch. Lord, what are you going to do? I get up in the morning and I pray. He says, I pray, because God, you hear me. And then I prepare a sacrifice, and I watch. What are you going to do? So I said, I want us to learn from Psalm 5 a correct view of self. And here's what we're going to learn. I'm just going to give it to you now. What we're going to learn from Psalm 5 is this reality that I'm not king. I'm not king. My thoughts, my feelings, my desires are not authoritative. They do not always align with truth. I am not king, but my thoughts and my feelings and my desires matter because I'm an image bearer of God. I want us to see that in the text, and we're going to go through there. Two truths about our relationship with God that I want you to see in the text for us to understand this. So the first one, I already said it, is this. God is king. God is king. David confesses that in verse 2. God is king. Now, if we were to go into our spectrum of how we typically like to view ourselves on the extreme, so on that self-worship extreme of that spectrum, right? Obviously, the response to that with the way we live our lives is, no, 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 I am king. God's not king. I am king. 
All right, my thoughts and my feelings and my desires are supreme. I don't have a view of God that would challenge me. All right, and that's going to be the more progressive side of it. But there's a more conservative side of that extreme too. And that conservative side is going to be one where we dress up our thoughts and our feelings and desires in all kinds of religious language in order to justify it and not to be open to any sort of critique, not to be open to any sort of leadership from the Spirit, not to be open to ways in which God wants to guide and direct. My fear is not of God, but it's of my religious system. It's the same thing. It's, it's worship of self and the thoughts and feelings of desires. So that's one extreme. The other extreme, though, is the self-loathing side. The one that says, oh, I don't have any problem confessing that God is king. But my experience or my thought or, or what I assume about God is that he's a distant king. Relationally, at least, he's distant. As a disciplinarian and as one who punishes, he's very close. Because all of my thoughts and my feelings and desires are abhorrent to him. And they're so depraved that God doesn't want anything to do with them. And because he knows my thoughts, because he knows my inmost being. I've read Psalm 139. I know he knows everything about me. And because of that, my relationship with God is one of constant shame. He is always sending discipline into my life because of what's in me. And we begin to do things, and I know people do this because I do it, and I talk to you is we begin to view the hard things of our life and the inconveniences of our life as maybe these spiritual reasons that God is sending things into our life because he's so frustrated with what's inside of us. But as I read Psalm 5, we don't see that. What, what does David do? Number one, he confesses God is king. I'm not king. But at the same time, look at verses 1 and 2. David says, Give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my groaning. I mean, that's a very strong word, groaning. I mean, that could mean my frustration, my bitterness, my angst, my anger. Whatever it is, consider my groaning. Give attention to the sound of my cry my King and my God, for to you do I pray. Psalm 5 shows us a God who is not relationally distant from the things that are going on inside of us, but in fact does the opposite, invites us to offer all of those things to God because they do matter to him and he does care about them. He doesn't just brush those aside as depravity, get away. No, actually, verse 3 says, O Lord, in the morning you hear my voice. That would be his groaning, by the way. In the morning I prepare a sacrifice for you and watch. And if you remember from last week, we talked about what is a proper sacrifice to offer to God. Because he talks about this in Psalm 4 as well. And we looked through a bunch of scriptures and we said, wait, no, what God wants from you is you. 
He doesn't want your religious activity and then for all the thoughts and feelings, desires that are in you to suppress those and push those aside and not pray to him about that. That does not what he wants. He wants all of you. If you're frustrated, if you're bitter, if you're angry, if you're happy, if you're thankful, if you're feeling worshipful, whatever it is in you, he wants that to be offered to him in the morning every single day and for us to watch with what he will do with it. Because God is king and he wants to lead and guide us in the midst of it. And so just right here, what, what I want you to see is a, maybe a practice that we could begin to form. We talk so much about quiet times and we talk so much about getting time with the Lord every day and reading your Bible and prayer. And yes, that's good and right. But what would it look like every single day to prepare a sacrifice to God? Which would be this. God, here's where I'm at. Every single day. God, I'm thinking about how yesterday, I'm thinking about what's going on and, and the relationship with that person and that conversation and what happened at work and how I treated my family and this or that. What I, here it is, God. Every single day. As a king who's close and cares about all of it. So that's the first thing. God is king. Second thing, God is my righteousness. And I'm going to take this from verses 4 all the way to verse 10, where David is kind of going back and forth between talking about the wicked and talking about himself. David, again, he describes the wicked as what? Boastful, deceitful, flattery. Almost this idea of they have to create an alternate reality in order for them to justify themselves. But David doesn't justify himself. David doesn't go before the Lord and say, Lord, here are all the reasons why I'm welcome into your presence. That's not what he does. What does he do? Look at verse 8. David says, lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness. Your righteousness, Lord. David knows that his righteousness, the righteousness that would be required for him to enter the presence of God, is not going to originate with him, but it's going to originate with God. And this gets at directly the essence of the Christian faith. The, 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 the bedrock of what we believe as Christians that we so easily forget, and yet we all can say it with our mouths. Like, let's go to the most popular verse in all of the Bible, right? Which would be what? Thank you. Let's go there. John 3.16. And let's read 3.16 through 21. Look at what John says. He says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. 
For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Right? Here's the essence of the, of the Christian faith. You and I have been created by God to bear his image, to reflect his glory to the entire earth. We've been created like, we are not God, but we have been created like God. But sin has tarnished that. It has not, made, it has not eliminated your ability to bear God's image, but it has tarnished your ability to bear the image of God. If you were to think of us as big mirrors or big pieces of glass that reflect or shine through the glory of God, sin has blotched it all up so the light can't get through. But God in his graciousness to us has come after us in and through Christ to redeem us from that sin. And, and John describes this as like a light coming into the world. Some are going to come into that light, and some are going to avoid that light altogether. But as an image bearer of God, you were created to take that light and to shine it to the rest of the world. But sin has tarnished that. And so what Christ has done is he goes to the cross and he completely wipes our sin away. And he begins a work of giving us his righteousness, of renewing us, of redeeming us. But, you know, when you think about light and the way that it shines, so if you were to, you know, maybe in your house, the late afternoon sun, as the sun goes down, kind of peers through the windows, it's really beautiful. You have these, like, gleams of light coming through. But what begins to happen when that happens? What do you notice in your house? All the dust. Yeah, you're like, man, my house is dusty. I didn't realize, like I just dusted and there's dust floating everywhere, right? Or in the morning when you get into your car and the, it's early and the sun's real low and you start driving and that sun hits your, sun, your, uh, your windshield directly, right? And all of the imperfections and all of the dirt and all of the condensation just gets you know, blasted with light and you can't see through it because there's all these imperfections in the glass. That's what light does. It exposes all of the imperfections around you. Now, those who follow Jesus step into that light and trust that as the light exposes all of the imperfections, that Jesus is going to deal with it, is going to cleanse it, and is going to use you to be the light of the world as he calls us to be. But there are some who prefer the dark. David says in verse 7 and 8, you know, I, through the abundance of your steadfast love, will enter your house. I mean, David's saying, I am only able to be in your presence because of you, through your love, forgiving, redeeming, cleansing me. I will bow down towards your holy temple in the fear of you. Lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness, because of my enemies, make your way straight before me. David is saying, God, I need you not only to cleanse off that windshield for me, but I need you to lead me in what righteousness is. 
I need you to change me. I need you to mold me, sanctify me, form me into your righteousness. And so those who follow Christ will step into the light and they will let God do the redeeming work. And yes, it's going to reveal all kinds of imperfection. And there are those who are going to prefer the dark. Because in the dark, that's a place where I can boast and I can deceive and I can flatter. And I can justify myself in the dark. Because all of the imperfections aren't revealed. So if we think about this, on the self-worship side of the spectrum, I mean, there, there very much is this view of, well, I, I don't need a righteousness apart from myself. I, I, I am righteous. So one extreme of that could be, well, my thoughts, feelings, desires are, are right. There's nothing wrong with my thoughts, feelings, and desires. But what's wrong is other people have to recognize my thoughts, feelings, and desires. Or, or there might be others, especially on the more conservative side, who go, well, it's, it's legalism. It's self-righteousness, right? It's, well, look at all the things that I do for God. That's why I'm welcome in his presence. That's why I'm able to stand in his presence. They, they point to themselves. They refuse to let God do the work of cleansing off the glass and allowing his righteousness to be the one that shines through. But on the self-loathing side of it as well, I think there can be this belief of, I am, I am so deplorable. All of my thoughts, all of my feelings, all of my desires, all of my motivations are so depraved that why would God ever use me? And what happens is we refuse to trust that God is doing a work in you. And we refuse to trust that he has given his righteousness. And therefore, we refuse to be the light of the world. And so again, a practice that we could do on this, right, is the first thing I said is, man, what would it look like every morning to offer to God what is going on inside of us because he desires that as our king and our Lord. And then the other thing we could do here is, what would it look like to allow God to use an imperfect vessel to shine his light in the world? And that's where I want to just end here, just a few moments, but just thinking about this idea. What would it God, what would it look like to allow God to use an imperfect vessel to shine his light, knowing that he has declared you righteous and he's forming righteousness in you? Because if I'm honest, I don't think that we, I'll just, now I'm talking to Grace Hill, right? I don't... I, I don't think here we struggle with the self-worship side of things. I think we need to be on guard. But I do think there are many in here, I'm one of them, that struggles with the self-loathing side. That I'm, I'm so embarrassed about who I am that I don't even know if it's worth me stepping out and letting God use me for the ways that he wants to use me. To let God use an imperfect vessel to do his work. You know, as a pastor, as you know, one of the things that I do every week is teach. <laughs> and that includes studying for the week 
and praying and digging into my Bible, maybe reading some other things, notes, whiteboards, prayer, wrestling, waking up on Sunday morning going, I have no idea what I'm going to say. You know what I mean? Just, just like all of this stuff. And so there are weeks where, man, my heart is so engaged. And it's, man, my time and preparation has been so good and powerful and prayerful. And I just feel like the Holy Spirit is being so clear on what he wants me to teach. And, and I come in and I, and I teach. And it's just this great spiritual experience of joy with the Lord. I have weeks like that. And then I have weeks that are the exact opposite. Where maybe my heart wrestles with, oh, God, I, I, I don't want to do this this week. Or maybe my heart wrestles with, maybe that week I had a fight with my wife or I had thoughts, feelings, and desires that weren't what the Lord wanted for me or whatever it was and just these weeks where I feel so disconnected and, and I stand up here on the stage and I'm thinking to myself, who are you to stand on that stage? If those people knew the week that you had, they would never listen to you. And there's this temptation, right, to go, God can't use me today, an imperfect vessel, I have many pastor friends who have buckled under that pressure. You know, as a, as a pastor, I'm very acquainted with the desire for the dark. The light reveals all the imperfections, but at the same time, stepping into the light is this beautiful act of faith in God that he's going to make me righteous, that he's going to do a work, and he's going to use me, and he's gonna get the glory. And stepping into the dark sometimes feels more comforting because it goes, okay, there, no one will see the imperfection. There, I can use deceit and flattery to create two personas. One of me on stage that everyone respects and one of me that's different. I'm very acquainted with the desire and the push into the darkness. And as I was saying, I have many pastor friends who've buckled under that. They stepped into the dark and it worked for a while, but eventually it overtook them. Why do I share this? I want to warn you against allowing self-loathing to push you into the dark. Where you're gonna create two personas. One is where you're really at that you believe God wants nothing to do with. And the other is gonna be the you that you show to other people using deceit and flattery. Not because you have evil intentions, but because you just want no one to see who that person is. And when we do that, one, we don't build this relationship with God where we allow him to minister to us in the midst of our real thoughts, feelings, and desires. And and two, we don't let God use us as, as imperfect vessels. But God wants to use you. He wants to use you exactly where you are. He wants to use you to be the light of the world, yes, with the thoughts and feelings and desires that you have right now. He wants you to submit those to him as your king, and he wants to use those and mold those and change those and adjust those or whatever it is. He wants to use you. We're not called to worship ourselves. We are not God. 
We do not have the corner of what truth is. We submit to God on what truth is, but at the same time, we are not called to hate ourselves because we are image bearers of God and we have been given the purpose and the destiny and the call by God to be used by him to reflect his glory, not to sit on the sidelines. So I don't want you to be afraid of the light and what the light will reveal because that is an incredible act of trust in the Lord that, God, you are now going to use me. You're going to give me your righteousness. You're going to cleanse off that shield, and you're going to use me to be the light of the world that you have created me to be. And so stepping in the light requires that we trust the Lord to protect us in the midst of it, because it's scary. That's why I want to end with, Verses 11 and 12, where David says, But let all who take refuge in you rejoice. Let them ever sing for joy and spread your protection over them, that those who love your name may exalt in you, for you bless the righteous, O Lord. You cover him with favor as with a shield. Who in here needs their view of themselves to be lifted. And whether you're in here and you're a follower of Jesus or you're not a follower of Jesus, you are created as an image bearer of God. And he is a good king and a good father who wants to lead and guide you with his righteousness. And he wants to root out of you all of the things that would rob you of your joy because your soul has been created to be the light of the world. That's where it will find its most peace and comfort. And settledness is in that place. And he wants to do that for you. And so no, you're not so deplorable and depraved that God wants nothing to do with you. No, God sent his very own son to come after you. And so let's step into the light. Let's let God use us. Let's let one another see what's actually going on inside. And let's go follow Jesus together because our righteousness doesn't come from ourselves. It comes from God. And again, I just want you to know, if you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus, that's what we believe right there. We're not righteous people within ourselves. Far from it. It's why we mess up so much. It's why people accuse us of being hypocritical so much. It's because we are in so, so many ways. But what we believe is we have a God who calls us to step into the light to reveal all of that and let him do his work of righteousness in us. And that's where you will find your joy and peace. It's through following Jesus and letting God use you. And if that does anything to your heart, if you're intrigued by that, or maybe you have lots of questions, I would just say, give it a shot. Come hang with us. Learn what it means to follow Jesus. Ask all of your questions. Challenge in whatever way you want. It's fine. And maybe test and see if the Lord really is there and if he really is good. Because I think that you'll find that following Jesus is exactly what your soul longs for. Let me pray. God, when I just asked the question, who in here needs their view of themselves lifted, I saw some hands go up. So I just want to pray for those people, God.
and everyone else who didn't raise their hand but could have. Lord, I pray that you would help us to see that we are not king. And that's such good news. That we don't have to carry the weight of the world. We don't have to be the one to decide what's good and beautiful and right. And the Lord, I pray at the same time you would help us to see that, Lord, you want good for us. That you are a God that is drawn near to us. That you are a God that has conquered sin and that you have made a way in and through Christ that we could be given righteousness. God, help us to see that you are patient and kind and long-suffering and slow to anger. And that you can handle every bit of our thoughts and our feelings and desires and our groanings. God, we love you. I pray that we would be a people who take the incredible step of faith into the light, trusting that you will do amazing things through us. Use us, God, as this church to be the light of the world, to be the light here in Herndon and Northern Virginia and to lead many to you. We love you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.